Number four. Fourthly, the Christian must offer violence to heaven. The kingdom of heaven suffers violence. Though heaven is given us freely, yet we must take pains for it. Canaan was given Israel freely, but they had to fight with the Canaanites. It is not a lazy wish or a sleepy prayer which will bring us to heaven. We must offer violence. Therefore, in Scripture, our earnestness for heaven is shown by those allegories and metaphors which imply violence. Number one, sometimes by striving. Luke 13, verses 23 through 24. Someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? Well, he said to them, Make every effort to enter through the narrow door, because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able. The Greek signifies strive, as in an agony. Number two, wrestling, which is a violent exercise. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. We are to wrestle with a body of sin and with the powers of hell. Number three, running in a race. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24. So run that you may obtain. We have a long race from earth to heaven, but a little time to run. It will soon be sunset. Therefore, so run. In a race, there's not only a laying aside of all weights that hinder, but a putting forth of all the strength of the body, a straining of every joint that men may, may press on with all swiftness to lay hold on the prize. Thus, Paul pressed towards the mark. Philippians chapter 3, verse 4. Alas, where this is holy violence, or where is this holy violence to be found? Number one, men have made themselves unfit to run this blessed race. They are drunk with the pleasures of the world. A drunken man is unfit to run a race. Number two, others neglect to run this race all their lives. And when sickness and death approach, now they'll begin. A sick man is very unfit to walk, much less run a race. I acknowledge that true repentance is never too late, but when a man can hardly move his hand or lift up his eyes, that is a very unfit time to begin the race from earth to heaven. Number three, this earnestness for heaven is compared to fighting, which implies violence. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12. Fight the good fight of faith. It is not enough to be laborers. We must be warriors. Indeed, in heaven, our armor shall be hung up as a token of victory. But now, it is a day of battle, and we must fight the good fight of faith. As Hannibal forced a way for his army over the Alps and craggy rocks, so must we force our way to heaven. We must not only pray, but pray fervently fervently. James chapter 5 verse 16. This is offering violence to heaven. The reasons why there must be this offering of violence toward heaven are, number one, 
God's indispensable command. He has enacted a law that whosoever eats of the fruit of paradise shall eat it in the sweat of his brow. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 10, quote, Give diligence to make your calling and election sure, close quote. Number two, God's decree. The Lord has, in his eternal decree, joined the end and the means together, striving and entering the race and the crown. And a man can no more think to come to heaven without offering violence than he can think to come to the end of his journey who never sets a step in the way. Who expects an harvest without plowing and sowing? How can we expect the harvest of glory without labor? Though our salvation with respect to Christ is a purchase, yet with respect to us, it is a conquest. Number three, we must offer violence to heaven in regard to the difficulty of the work. Taking a kingdom. First, we must be pulled out of another kingdom. Quote, the kingdom of darkness, close quote. Acts chapter 26, verse 18. To get out of the state of nature is hard. And when that is done, and we are cut off from the wild olive tree and implanted into Christ, there is new work still to do, new sins to mortify, new temptations to resist, new graces to quicken. A Christian must not only get faith, but go, quote, from faith to faith, close quote. Romans chapter 1, verse 17. This will not be done without violence. Number four, we must offer violence to heaven in regard to the violent assaults made against us. Number one, our own hearts oppose us. Yes, this is a strange paradox. Man who does naturally desire happiness yet opposes it. He desires to be saved yet hates that holy violence which would save him. Number two, all the powers of hell oppose us. Satan stands at our right hand, as he did at Joshua's. Zechariah chapter 3, verse 1. Shall we not be as earnest to save our souls as the dragon is to devour them? Without violent affections, we shall never resist violent temptations. Number five, we must be violent because it is a matter of the highest importance. A man does not beat his head about trifles, but rather about matters wherein his life and estate are concerned. Violence is to be offered if we consider, number one, what we shall save, the precious soul. What pains do we take for the feeding and enriching of the body? the brutish part. Oh, then, what violence should we use for the saving of the soul? The body is but a ring of clay. The soul is the diamond. The soul is the mirror wherein the image of God is seen. There are in the soul some shadows and faint representations of a deity. 
If Christ thought the soul was worth the shedding of his blood, well, may we think it worth spending our sweat. Number two, consider what we shall gain. A kingdom. What pains are used for earthly crowns and empires? Well, men will wade to the crown through blood. Heaven is a kingdom which should make us strive for it, even to blood. The hopes of a kingdom, says Basil, should carry a Christian cheerfully through all labors and sufferings. There must be an offering of violence in regard to that aptness and proneness in the best to grow remiss in piety. When they have been quickened in a duty, they are apt to grow dead again. When they have been heated at the fire of an ordinance, they are apt to freeze again. Therefore, they still must be offering violence. The heart, like the watch, will be apt to run down. Therefore, it must be continually wound up by prayer and meditation. The fire of devotion will soon go out if it is not blown up. A Christian's own experience of his inconstancy in performing good is reason enough to offer holy violence. If there must be this offering of violence, it shows us it is not so easy a thing as men imagine to get to heaven. There are so many precepts to obey, so many promises to believe, so many rocks to avoid, that it is a difficult matter to be saved. Some imagine that there is a pleasant, easy way to heaven, an idle wish, a deathbed tear. But the text tells us of offering violence. Alas, there is a great work to be done. The bias of the heart must be changed. Man by nature does not only lack grace, but hates it. He has an envenomed spirit against God and is angry with converting grace. And it is easy to have the heart metamorphosed. And is it easy to have the heart metamorphosed? For the proud heart to be made humble? For the earthly heart to be made heavenly? Can this be done without using violence? It is all uphill to heaven and it will make us sweat before we get to the top of the hill. Quote, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and how many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few that find it. Close quote. Matthew chapter 7 verses 13 through 14. Indeed, hell will be taken without storm. The gates of hell, like that iron gate, Acts chapter 12, verse 10, open of their own accord. But if we get to heaven, we must force our way. We must besiege it with sighs and tears and get the scaling ladder of faith to storm it. We must not only work, but fight. Like those Jews who built the wall of Jerusalem, Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 17 through 18. Quote, those who carried materials did their work with one hand 
and held a weapon in the other. And each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. Close quote. A Christian is commanded to difficult service. He must charge through the whole army of his own lusts, every one of which, which is stronger than Goliath. A Christian has no time for drowsiness. He must be either praying or watching, either upon the mount or in the valley, on the mount of faith or in the valley of humility. Worldly things are not obtained without labor. What toiling is there in the shop? What sweatings are there in the furnace? And do we think heaven will be had without labor? Do men dig for worms and not for gold? Those who are in heaven are employed. Much more should those who are getting there. The angels are ministering spirits. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 14. The wings of the seraphim are many to show us how swift they are in God's service. If the angels in heaven are busying themselves in noble and honorable employment, how industrious should we be who are getting up the hill of God and have not yet arrived at a state of glory? Is salvation work so easy? Can a man be saved by a faint wish? Can he leap out of the devil's arms into Avraham's bosom? Oh no, there must be offering violence. Some think that free grace will save them, but it must be in the use of means. Quote, watch and pray, close quote. Others say the promises will bring them to heaven. But the promises of the word are not to be separated from the precepts. The promise tells us of a crown, but the precept says, quote, run in such a way as to get the prize, close quote. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. The promises are made to encourage faith, not to nourish sloth. But others say, Christ has died for sinners, and so they leave him to do all for them, and they will do nothing. Then the text would be out of date, and all the exhortations to striving and, quote, fighting the good fight of faith, close quote, are in vain. Our salvation cost Christ blood. It will cost us sweat. The boat may as well get to shore without rowing, as we can get to heaven without offering violence. Number two, it shows us the great mistake of ignorant people who think the bare doing of duties, though in an ever so slight and superficial manner, is enough. The text tells us of offering violence, number one, in the business of prayer. They think it is enough to utter over a few words, though the heart beat asleep the entire time. What offering of violence is here? Christ was, quote, in an agony, close quote, at prayer. Luke chapter 22, verse 44. Many, when they pray, are rather in a lethargy than in an agony. Jacob 
wrestled with the angel in prayer. Genesis chapter 32, verse 24. The incense was to be laid upon burning coals. Leviticus chapter 16, verses 12 through 13. Incense was a type of prayer, and incense upon burning coals was a type of fervency in prayer. Few know what the spirit of prayer means, or what it is to have the affections boil over. When they are all about the world, they are all fire. When they are at prayer, they are all ice. Number two, in the hearing of the word. Many people think it is enough to bring their bodies to the assembly but never look at their own hearts. They satisfy themselves that they have been at church, though they have not been with God while there. Others go to a sermon as to the market to hear the latest news. New notions please their fancy, but they do not attend to the word as a matter of life and death. They do not go to meet with Christ in an ordinance to have the breathings of his spirit and the infusions of his love. Alas, what little violence for heaven is to be seen in most people's worship. In all the sacrifices of the law, there was fire. How can those duties be accepted which have no fire in them or no offering of violence? Number three, if there must be this offering of violence to heaven, then it shows us how dangerous moderation in piety is. Violence and moderation are two different things. Indeed, moderation in the things of the world is commendable. We should moderate our worldly desires and, quote, use the world as if we used it not, close quote. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 31. We may, as Jonathan, dip the end of the rod in honey, but not thrust it in too far. In this sense, moderation is good, but moderation in matters of practical piety is sinful. It is contrary to offering violence. Moderation, in the world sense, means not to be too zealous, not to be too fierce for heaven. Moderation is not to venture further in piety than may coexist with self-preservation. As the king of Navarre told Biza, he would launch no further into the sea than he might be sure to return safely to land. To keep on the warm side of the hedge is a main article in which are in the politician's creed. Moderation in the world sense is neutrality. The moderate person finds a medium between strictness and profaneness. He's not for debauchery, nor for purity. It was the advice Calvin gave Melanchthon, that he should not so affect the name of moderate, that at last he lost all his zeal. To be lukewarm in matters of piety is far from offering violence to heaven. Revelation chapter 3, verse 19, quote, Be zealous and repent. Close quote. If any should ask us why we are so violent, tell them that it is 
for a kingdom. If any shall ask us why we make such haste in the ways of piety, tell them we are running a heavenly race, and a soft, moderate pace will never win the prize. Moderation has made many to lose heaven. They have not made haste enough. They have come too late, like the foolish virgin, virgins, when the door has been shut. Number one, it reproves slothful professors who are settled on their lees. They make a lazy profession of piety, but use no violence. They are like the lilies, which neither toil nor do they spin. The snail, by reason of its slow motion, was reckoned among the unclean. Leviticus chapter 11, verse 30. Augustine calls idleness the burial of a man alive. There are some faint wishes, quote, Oh, that I had heaven, close quote. But a man may desire venison and lack it if he does not hunt for it. Quote, the sluggard craves and gets nothing. The desires of the diligent are fully satisfied. Close quote. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 4. Men would be content to have the kingdom of heaven, but they are loath to fight for it. They choose rather to go in a feather bed to hell than to be carried to heaven in a fiery chariot of zeal and violence. How many sleep away and play away their time as if they were made like the Leviathan to play in the sea? Psalm 104 verse 26. It is a saying of Seneca, quote, No man is made wise by chance, close quote. Sure it is. No man is saved by chance. But he must know how he came by it, namely by offering violence. Such as have accustomed themselves to an idle, lazy disposition will find it hard to shake off. Quote, I have taken off my robe, must I put it on again? I have washed my feet. Must I soil them again? Close quote. Song of Solomon, chapter 5, verse 3. The spouse had laid herself upon the bed of sloth, and though Christ knocked at the door, she was reluctant to rise and let him in. Some pretend to be believers, but are idle in the vineyard. They pretend to make use of faith for seeing, but not for working. This faith is fancy. Oh, that Christians had a spirit of activity in them. 1 Chronicles chapter 22, verse 16. Quote, Arise and be doing, and the Lord be with you. Close quote. We may sometimes learn of our enemies. The devil is never idle. He, quote, walks about, close quote. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. The world is his diocese, and he is every day going on his visitation. Is Satan active? Is the enemy upon his march coming against us? And are we asleep upon our guard? As Satan himself is not idle, 
so he will not endure that any of his servants should be idle. When the devil had entered into Judas, how active was Judas? He goes to the high priest, and from thence to the band of soldiers, and with him back to the garden, and never left until he had betrayed Christ. Satan will not endure an idle servant. Do we think God will? How will the heathen rise up in judgment against slothful Christians? What pains did they take in the Olympian games? They ran for a garland of flowers. And do we stand still who run for a crown of immortality? Certainly, if only the violent take heaven, the idle person will never come there. God puts no difference between these two, slothful and wicked. Matthew chapter 25, verse 26, quote, You wicked and slothful servant, close quote. Number two, it reproves the formalist, who puts all his religion in gestures and vestures and emblems of devotion and thinks that this will entitle him to heaven. Revelation chapter 3, verse 1, quote, You have a name to live and are dead, close quote. The form and outside of Christianity is judged as all that is necessary. Number one, it is a means to keep up men's credit in the world. Should they be visibly profane, such are, as are sober would not come near them they would be looked upon as no better than baptized heathens. Therefore, they must make a show of devotion out of policy to gain some reputation and esteem among others. Number two, a form serves to stop the mouth of conscience. Had they not some kind of outward devotion, their conscience would fly in their face and they would be a terror to themselves. Therefore, they think it expedient to have a form of godliness. But alas, what is all this? The text speaks of offering violence to heaven. What violence is there in a form? Here is no taking pains with the heart. A form, but no power. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5. Formalists are like the statues in the churchyard which have their eyes and hands lifted up to heaven, but have no soul. The formalist's devotion runs out in most punctilios and niceties. He neglects, quote, the weightier matters of the law, faith, and mercy, close quote, Matthew chapter 23, verse 23. He scruples about superstitions and fancies. He scruples about superstitious fancies but makes no reckoning of sin. He is more afraid of a black cat crossing his path than of a harlot in his bed. He hates sanctity. Christ had no such bitter enemies as the formal Pharisees. The formalist is never violent, except in persecuting the power of godliness. Number three. It reproves such as are violent in a bad sense. Number one, they're violent for hell. They go there in the sweat of their brows. Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 6. Quote, 
Each pursues his own course like a horse charging into the battle. Close quote. A war horse rushes violently among the guns and cannons. So did they rush into sin violently. Men are violent, number one, in opposing good, number two, in pursuing evil. Number one, men are violent in opposing good in several ways. Number one, they offer violence to the Spirit of God. The Spirit knocks at the doors of sinners' hearts. He waits until his head is filled with dew and his locks with the drops of the night. But sinners repulse and grieve the Spirit and send away this dove from the ark of their souls. Acts chapter 7 verse 51, quote, you do always resist the Holy Spirit, close quote. The Spirit offers grace to the sinner, and the sinner offers violence to the Spirit. Isaiah chapter 63, verse 10, quote, They rebelled and vexed his Holy Spirit, close quote. And may not the Lord give up striving. God, who is willing to come in when we open to him, has not promised to come again if we unkindly repulse him. Number two, they offer violence to conscience. Conscience is God's preacher in the heart. This preacher cannot flatter. It tells men of their pride, covetousness, and abuse of mercy. But they, instead of being violent against their own sin, offer violence to conscience. They silence and imprison conscience. But as the prophet Zechariah, when he was dumb, called for a writing table and did write, Luke chapter 1, verse 63. So, when a conscience cannot be permitted to speak, it shall write. It writes down men's sins, and when at death, they shall be forced to read the handwriting. It will make their hearts tremble and their knees knock together. Men commonly offer violence to their conscience. And what will be this outcome? Those who will not hear the voice of conscience shall be sure to feel the worm of conscience. Number three, they offer violence to God's image. The saints, who are God's living picture, are opposed and shot at. This is a cursed violence. Galatians chapter 4, verse 29, quote, As he who was born after the flesh persecuted him who was born after the Spirit, close quote. Even so, it is now. Christ himself is struck at through believers. The church has always been in the torrid zone. The plowers have plowed upon her back. The earth has been sown with the bodies of the saints and watered with their blood. Persecutors, I grant, are of an ancient family. The first man that was born in the world was a persecutor, namely Cain, and he had a numerous offspring, Nero, Trajan, Domitian, Diocletian, and Maximinius, Felix, Earl of Wurmburg. Wurmburg, being at supper in Augsburg, did take an oath that before he died, he would ride up to his spurs in the blood of the Lutherans, but was afterwards choked in his own blood. 
Persecutors are the curse of the creation, being some of those, quote, thorns and briars, close quote, which the earth brings forth. And number two, men are violent in pursuing evil. Number one, they are violent in their opinions. Second Peter chapter two, verse one, quote, privily they shall bring in damnable heresies, close quote. Arius was such a one, and truly the spirit, uh, the spirit of Arius is yet alive at this day, when men dare deny the deity of the blessed Son of God. Many of the heretics of old were so violent that their opinion was to them a Bible, and some of them died maintaining their heresies. These were the devil's martyrs. Number two. They're violent in their passions. Anger is a temporary insanity. James chapter 3, verse 6. Quote, The tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. Close quote. In this little member, there is a great world, namely, a world of sin, such as would be counted sober, yet are drunk with passion. Their prayers are cold, with their anger hot. They spit fire as the serpent does poison. Fiery passions without repentance bring men to the fiery furnace. Number three, they are violent for their lusts. Titus chapter three, verse three, quote, enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures, close quote. Lust is an inordinate desire or impulse provoking the soul to the gratifying of its carnal desires. Aristotle calls them brutish lusts, because when lusts are violent, they will not let reason or conscience be heard. But a man is carried brutishly to the satisfying of the flesh. Number one, men are violent for their drunken lusts. Though death is in the cup, they will drink it up. One, having almost lost his eyesight, the physician told him there was no cure for him unless he would leave off his excessive drinking. Then, says he, farewell, sweet light. He would rather lose his eyesight than to leave his drinking. Number two, they're violent for their impure lusts. Men are said to, quote, burn in lusts, close quote. Romans chapter one, verse 27. The apostle intimates that lust is a kind of fever. Feverish heats are not more pernicious to the body than lust is to the soul. Oh, what folly is it for a drop of pleasure to drink up a sea of wrath? Number three, they are violent for their oppressive lusts, who wrong and defraud others, and by violence, Take away their right. Instead of clothing the naked, they make those who are clothed naked. These birds of prey live upon rapine, or rapine, however you pronounce it. They are cruel, as if they had been suckled with the milk of wolves. They smile at the curses of the poor and grow fat with their tears. They have forgotten Christ's caveat. Luke chapter 3, verse 14, quote, do violence to no man, close quote. 
Ahab violently took away Naboth's vineyard. 1 Kings chapter 21, verses 13 through 15. Hell is taken by this violence. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 17. Quote, who drank the wine of violence, close quote. This wine will turn to poison at last. Psalm, nine, uh, Psalm 11, verse 5. Quote, he who loves violence, God's soul hates. Close quote. Number four, they're violent for their covetous lusts. Covetousness is this soul's idolatry. Amos chapter 2, verse 7, quote, who pant after the dust of the earth, close quote. They compass sea and land to make money. They're a proselyte. Their God is made of gold, and to it they bow down. Those who bowed down on their knees to drink of the waters were accounted unfit soldiers for Gideon, Judges chapter 7, verse 6. So are those unfit for Christ that stoop immoderately to the care of earthly things. Those who are violent for the world, what have they but the wind? Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 16. Quote, what profit has he who has labored for the wind? Close quote. The world cannot enrich the soul. It cannot remove the pain. If pangs of conscience come, the world can no more give comfort than a crown of gold can cure a headache. Number four, it reproves those who have, in part, left off that holy strictness and violence in piety that they once had. Their fervor is cooled and abated. What they do is so little that it cannot be called violence. They serve God, but are not fervent in spirit. They do not abandon duty, but they grow dead in duty. They have, quote, left their first love, close quote. Revelation chapter 2, verse 4. It is with them as a fire when it is going out, or as the sun when it is going down. Like epileptics before they were in a paroxysm or a hot fit of zeal. But now that the cold fit has taken them, they are formal and frozen in piety. Time was when they called, quote, the Sabbath a delight, close quote. Isaiah chapter 58, verse 13. How were their hearts raised in duty? How diligently did they seek him whom their soul loved? But now the case is altered. Their piety languishes and even vanishes. Time was when they were in an agony and did send forth strong cries in prayer. Now the chariot wheels are pulled off and the spirit of prayer is much abated. Their prayers freeze between their lips, a clear sign of the decay of grace. These persons are grown both lethargic and consumptive. Number one, lethargic. Canticles chapter 5 verse 2, quote, I sleep, but my heart wakes, close quote. Though grace was alive in her and her heart waked, yet she was in a dull, drowsy temper, quote, I sleep, close quote.
when the heart burns in sin and cools in duty, it is a sure sign of growing to a stupid lethargy. Number two, consumptive. And there are two signs of persons in a spiritual consumption. Number one, when their desire after Christ and heaven is not as strong as it was. A consumptive man's stomach decays. Christians have not such violent affections to heavenly things. They can desire food and wine and the luscious delights of the earth, but Christ is less precious. They are not in pangs of desire after him, a sad symptom of that their grace is in a consumption. Number two, when they are not so vigorous in motion, when a man is lively and stirring at his work, it is a sign he is in health. But when he is listless and does not care to stir or to put his hand to anything, it is a sign that health is declining. So when men have no heart for that which is holy, they care not to put themselves upon the exercises of piety. They have lost a spirit of activity for God. They serve him in a faint, sickly manner. It is a sign they are consumptive. When the pulse can scarcely be felt, and it beats very low, men are near dying. So when those who were once violent for heaven, but now can scarcely perceive any godliness in them, the pulse beats low, and grace is ready to die. Revelation chapter 3 verse 2. To you who have abated in your holy violence and are grown remiss in your duty, let me expostulate with you, as the Lord did by the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 2, verse 5. Quote, What iniquity have your fathers found in me? Close quote. What evil have you found in God that you leave off your former strictness? Has not God fed you with manna from above? and given you his Holy Spirit to be your guide and comforter? Has he not made you swim in a sea of mercy? What evil have you found in prayer that you are less violent in it? Have you not had sweet fellowship with God? Have you not sometimes been melted and enlarged in so much you have thought yourselves in the suburbs of heaven when you have been upon this mount? Is not the dove of prayer brought an olive branch of peace in its mouth? What evil have you found in the word? Time was when you did take this book and devour it, and it was honey in your mouth. Is the word less virtue in it now? Are the promises like Aaron's dry rod, withered and sapless? What iniquity have you found in the ways of God that you have abated your former violence and piety? Quote, Oh, remember whence you are fallen and repent and do your first works. Close quote. Revelation chapter 2, verse 5. Consider seriously. Number one, the less violence for heaven the less peace you will have. Our consciences are never at peace in a drowsy state. It is the lively acting of grace which makes the heart calm and serene. These two go together, 
walking, quote, in the fear of God, close quote, and, quote, in the comforts of the Holy Spirit, close quote. Acts chapter 9, verse 31. Christian, if once you grow remiss in piety, conscience will chide you. If you belong to God, he will never let you be quiet, but will send some affliction or other to awaken you out of your security and prosperity and make you recover that active, lively frame of heart as you once had. Number two, you who grow more dead in God's service and leave your first love, give great advantage to Satan. The less violent you are, the more violent he is. The less you pray, the more he tempts. What a sad case are you now in. How can grace that is weak and sickly withstand violent temptations? Hence, it is God allows his own people sometimes to fall into sin as a just punishment for their lukewarmness and to make them more zealous and violent for the future. Number three, your remissness in piety, though it may not damn you, it will damage you. You will lose that degree of glory which else you might have had. Though your remissness may not lose your crown, it will lessen it and make it weigh lighter. Number four, the more lazy a Christian's desires are, the more lively his corruptions the weaker the body grows, the stronger the disease grows. Oh, therefore, pray for quickening grace. Psalm 143, verse 11. Beg for fresh gales of the Spirit to blow upon you. Never leave until you have recovered that holy violence which once you had. Number two. It reproves those who have nearly abandoned all violence. They have stopped reading and praying in their family. There's not so much as a face of piety to be seen. They are fallen finally. Such were Joash, Jehu, Julian. The goodly building of their profession, which others admired, now has not one stone left upon another. Why do men thus run retrograde in their motion, and quite throw off that violence which they seemed once to have? Well, number one, because they never had a principle of spiritual life. Things that move from a principle of life are constant, as the motion of the pulse. But artificial things are apt to be at a standstill, and their motion ceases. As a clock, when the weights are hung on, goes, but take off the weights and it stands still. So the apostate never moved in religion, but for gain and applause. When these weights are taken off, he is at a standstill. He goes no further. That branch must needs wither, which has no root to grow upon. Number two. Men throw off all violence and degenerate into apostasy because they never did duties of piety with delight. Paul, quote, delighted in the law of God, in the inward man. 
Close quote. Romans chapter 7, verse 22. It was his heaven to serve God. A man who delights in pleasure will never give up his pleasure. The apostate never had any true delight in the ways of God. He was rather forced with fear of hell than drawn with love. He served a master whom he never cared for. No wonder then that he leaves his service. Number three, men degenerate into apostasy through unbelief. Psalm 78 verse 22, quote, They believed not in God, close quote. And also verse 41, quote, They turned back and tempted God, close quote. Sinners have jealous thoughts of God. They distrust his love, therefore desert his service. They think they may pray and hear and to no purpose. Malachi chapter 3 verse 14, quote, What profit is it that we have kept his ordinances, close quote. That is, quote, We may draw near to God in duty, but he will never draw near to us in mercy, close quote. This, or thus, unbelief and atheism prevailing, the livery of piety is presently thrown off, and all former violence for heaven ceases. Unbelief is the mother of apostasy. Number four. Men leave off their former violence and prove to be Judases and devils because they love something else more than piety. There is some lust or other that their heart is engaged to, and their violence for sin has destroyed their violence for piety. Solomon, that's S-O-L-Y-M-A-N, the great Turk, seeing many professing Christians go over to Turkism, he asked them what moved them to turn Turk. Then they replied, quote, they did it to be eased of their taxes, close quote. They were drawn from God through the prevalency of covetousness. If there is any predominant lust in the heart, it will get domination and destroy all former zeal for piety. Abimelech, a bastard, destroyed, quote, 70 of his brethren upon one stone, close quote. Judges chapter 9, verse 18. If there is any lust the heart runs after, this bastard sin will destroy 70 duties, and it will murder all that violence for heaven, which a man did once seem to have. Number five. Men leave off former violence, out of cowardice. If they are violent in piety, they fear they may lose their profits and preferments, nay, even their lives. The coward never yet won the field. When carnal fear grows violent, all violence for heaven is at an end. Many of the Jews, who were great followers of Christ, when they saw the swords and staves, left him. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 25, quote, In the fear of man there is a snare, close quote. Carnal fear makes the sin appear less than it is, but the danger greater. Number six, men leave off violence for heaven for lack of patience. 
sensible feeling of joy is withheld, and they have no patience to stay for the full recompense of reward. Hypocrites are all for present pay, and if they have not that suddenly which they desire, they bid adieu to piety, and say as that wicked king in 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 33, quote, Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? Close quote. They do not consider that God is a free agent and will dispense his blessings in the fittest season, but rather they try to tie God up to their time. They forget that joy is a part of the reward and would have the reward before their work is not yet finished. Does the servant receive his pay before the work is done? James chapter 5 verse 7. The farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth. He does not expect to sow and reap in the same day. But hypocrites are always in haste. They would reap joy before they are done sowing the seed of repentance. And because comfort is a while deferred, they are offended. They will serve God no longer. Their patience is at an end, and therefore their violence is at an end. Number seven. Men leave off holy violence and degenerate into profaneness out of a just judgment from God, leaving them to themselves. They often resisted the spirit and sent him away. And now, as a just judgment, God says, quote, My spirit shall no longer strive, close quote. And if this wind does not blow upon their sails, they cannot move. If this sun withdraws from their climate, they must needs freeze in impenitency. They before sinned against clear convictions. They silenced conscience. And now God has seared it. And now, if an angel should preach to them from heaven, it would do them no good. Oh, how dismal is this. The thoughts of it may strike us into a holy consternation. And thus we see why men apostatize and leave off their violence for heaven. What do they get by this? Well, let us see what a purchase apostates make. They proclaim their folly. For all their former violence for heaven is lost. He who runs half the race and then faints loses the garland. Ezekiel chapter 3 verse 20. When the righteous turns away from his righteousness, all his righteousness that he has done shall not be remembered. Close quote. All men's prayers and tears are lost. The apostate unravels all that he has been doing. He is like a man who with a pencil draws an intricate picture and then comes with his sponge and wipes it out again. Galatians chapter 3 verse 4. Quote, have you suffered so many things in vain? Close quote. Perhaps for piety, a man has suffered many a reproach and affront. And have you suffered all this in vain? <laughs> Here is folly indeed. 
It will be bitterness in the end. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 19. Quote, Know therefore that it is an evil and bitter thing that you have forsaken the Lord. Close quote. Men, by leaving off their violence for heaven, get a thorn in their conscience, a blot in their name, a curse in their souls. What did Judas get by his apostasy? But a halter. And so it will be bitterness in the end. The apostate, when he dies, drops as a windfall into the devil's mouth. Number five. It reproves those who put off this violence for the kingdom until old age. When they are fit for no other work, then they will begin this taking heaven by storm. No man says, quote, I will learn my trade when I am old, close quote. It is imprudence for one to begin to work for heaven when he has passed his labor. There is a night of sickness and death coming. And our Savior says, quote, The night comes when no man can work, close quote. John chapter 9, verse 4. Surely a man can put forth but a little violence for heaven when old age and old sins are upon him. Besides, how unworthy and insincere it is to give the devil the flower of youth and God the dregs of old age. Therefore, God rejected Cain's sacrifice because it was stale before he brought it. Genesis chapter 4 verse 3. There is little hope of their salvation who never seek for heaven until they are on the borders of eternity. Number six, it reproves those who are so far from using this violence for heaven that they deride it. These are your zealous ones. Second Peter chapter three, verse three, quote, in the last days there shall be scoffers, close quote. Holy walking has become the object of derision. The Psalm 69, verse 12. I have become the song of the drunkard. This shows a vile heart. There are some who, though they have no goodness themselves, yet honor those who are good. Herod reverenced John the Baptist. But what devils are those who scoff at goodness and reproach others for doing that which God commands? This age produces such as sit in the chair of scorners and throw their squibs at piety. In Bohemia, when some of the martyrs were the next day to suffer, they covered themselves with this, that it was their last supper and tomorrow they should feast with Christ in heaven. A papist, standing by, asked them, in a jeer, if Christ had any cooks in heaven to dress their supper. Oh, take heed of such an Ishmael spirit. It is a sign of a man given over to the devil. God scorns the scorner, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 34. And surely he shall never live with God whose company God scorns. Number seven, it reproves those who, instead of taking heaven by force, keep it off 
by force, as if they were afraid of being happy, or as if a crown of glory would hurt them. Well, such are, number one, the ignorant, who shut their eyes against the light and refuse to be taught the way to heaven. Hosea chapter 4, verse 6, quote, You have rejected knowledge, close quote. The Hebrew word shoves to reject with disdain. As I have read of a Scottish or of a Scotch bishop who thanked God he never knew what the Old and New Testaments were. I wonder where the bishop took his text. Number two, the profane who hate to be admonished and had rather die than reform. Amos chapter five verse ten quote, They hate him who rebukes in the gate. Close quote. These keep off heaven by force. And such were those in Acts chapter 13, verse 46. Quote, seeing you put away the word from you, close quote. The Greek word may be rendered as seeing you shove it away with your shoulders. As if a sick man should bolt out the physician, lest he should cure him. Job chapter 21, verse 14. Quote, who say unto the Almighty, depart from us, close quote. God is reluctant to be gone. He woos and beseeches sinners to accept his terms of mercy. But sinners will have him gone. They say to him, quote, Depart! Close quote. May not we say to these, quote, Who has bewitched you? What madness beyond hyperbole is this, that you should not only forsake mercy, but fight against it? as if there were danger in going to heaven, close quote. These who put away salvation from them, they do willfully perish. They would not hear of anything that would save them. Were it not a sad epitaph, if a man had written upon his tombstone, quote, here lies one who murdered himself, close quote. This is the condition of desperate sinners, they keep off heaven by force. They are self-murderers. Therefore, God writes their epitaph upon their grave. Hosea chapter 13, verse 9. Quote, O Israel, you have destroyed yourself. Close quote.